0: Welcome to the Old Chats pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way with two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way.
1: Welcome to episode eight. This is the Priory and Pregnancy Chat. Here we speak to Patricia Stevens about her experiences with mental health hiccups and her referral to the Priory Hospital as well as the effect that complications with pregnancy had on her mental health.
0: When me and James kind of started doing this project of this mental health podcast, obviously we had a link in terms of men's mental health and sport in general. But something we've always kind of wanted to branch out of is Different sides of mental health that we probably haven't been accustomed to. And a big side of that is obviously we're both blokes. We don't accustomed to like female mental health and especially pregnancy. So it is a really good privilege and great to have a colleague of mine on, who, Patricia, um, who we're both pretty active in the working environment that trying to tackle mental health, especially in the workplace. So I'm very grateful that you're on, Trish. Oh,
2: I'm really thrilled to be
0: on. Thanks, Trish. Thanks for coming on. But what was the weird thing about this is I don't think we ever worked together or even spoke until we kind of opened up about mental health. How did you two get onto that subject?
2: Uh, a colleague that put us in touch who had known both, I guess, my background and Mesh's background. And I think, Mesh, I, might, I don't know if I'm completely making something up, but had you said something about, oh, I'd be really keen to to do, to do talk about something or like do something around mental health, And then this colleague kind of said oh yeah you should talk to Patricia so and so and then that's how it
0: yeah so we just kind of just I spoke to a manager and it just filtered down towards you because I think people knew of your mental health um hiccups at work essentially
2: yeah because I because I guess I took time off work so it was a bit noticeable that I wasn't there for a while so and then I think when I came back I started I think I was I made a decision of I want to be open with people about what happened because because uh, like honestly when I took time off I just felt as if like I was the only person in the entire world that had to go through this and I felt like quite alone that I was experiencing this like completely alone and super ashamed and I just remember thinking I don't want anyone else to think to, to feel this way so I, I remember making a, des- a decision of you know I, I want to tell people what happened so I think ever since then yeah I've kind of been the the person who's been taking time off work and stuff um and it's just been no no regrets at all like I've got nothing but positive things coming out of it in terms of sharing my experience so, and even more so, like, kind of meshed I have became really good friends off of it, you know, and stuff like that and support each other.
0: So what actually did happen, Trish? If you could rewind, go back a few steps.
2: I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So looking back across my entire life since my early 20s, I think I've probably had a mixture of anxiety and depression because they sort of kind of go hand in hand and had sort of bouts of I didn't feel that great kind of seeing someone to talk about it on and off medication. And it just literally felt as if like across my early twenties, I'd like have a stumble and I'd get some therapy or go on meds and then just like forget about it and kind of go back to normal life and be like, did check that box, did it, did some therapy. Cool. I'm sorted. And then about three and a half years ago, Like it kind of got to a point where it wasn't really going away and it got to the worst it's ever been in my life. So like I wasn't eating and I wasn't sleeping for about a month. It was a month. I really remember it was the month of January. Um, I'd lie in bed literally just thinking about everything that had happened that day, everything that had gone wrong my muscles were incredibly tight so I was tense all the time so it was it was kind of like a reoccurring circuit so like my, my brain would say okay this is wrong therefore my muscles would tense up therefore my body would just be like okay you're really tense that means something's wrong and it was just like kind of this a never-ending cycle I think also at work I sort of got there are a lot of really great opportunities that came my way but because of my personality type, I'm quite a perfectionist. And rather than taking them on as learning opportunities, my mind was like, cool, well, you have to do this perfectly. Otherwise you're a failure. So that's that's the kind of stuff that was going on in my head yeah. that kind of just, it kind of just happened in a loop and I just was stuck and I couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. And then it kind of all just came crashing down one weekend where I literally hadn't... I just hadn't slept probably in about a month and that's not an exaggeration like literally I'd get like an hour of sleep a night and um, then it just kind of got to a point where it was just like it was like a survival thing it was really weird I was like I just have to stop so I literally called work and I said I can't come in <laughs> like they, I, I, I just can't come in um, and It happened that I had an appointment with my psychiatrist at the time. So because I'd sort of had issues throughout my whole 20s, I did have a psychiatrist and a therapist that I kind of saw on and off. Yeah, so I had an appointment with him. um, And my mom sort of knew that something was up because moms always know, right? So my mom lives in Vienna, so she kind of flew over. And I think the moment that I think I realized it was serious was when I said to my mom, I said... I just want it to stop. I want the pain to stop. And there was only one way in my mind that I could think of the pain to stop, which was suicidal thoughts, basically. So then uh, kind of went to see the psychiatrist and he goes, okay, you just need to step away from the world. You need to be checked into a hospital. And at that point, for someone who was so... Like I'm such a perfectionist, and well, I guess recovery perfectionist never goes away. Um, and I got so used to hiding it. because it's another thing with depression, right? Is because no one probably knew anything about what was going on. So I'd work, I'd perform to the highest level, and then come back home and just be absolutely shattered. So all my energy was being put into pretending like everything was fine. So I went to a psychiatrist, and then two days later, I went back. I was checked into the Priory as an inpatient so the Priory is a um, mental health hospital so they have loads of different hospitals around the UK it's a private hospital so I I realized I'm really privileged to to be able to afford it through um, health insurance that I had at the time and I think the NHS use it, it sometimes sometimes as well so You essentially get put into this program with people that also have anxiety and depression and also bipolar as well. Um, I got given a folder and I had about six hours of therapy a day, like group therapy day. The thing that was just amazing is you, because I was looking through my notes, some of it is like, it's kind of like a movie. So... You know how like in Girl Interrupted, you, see, you have like in a, in a mental health hospital, you have like the cubicle that you go and get your medicine from. It was literally like that. So yeah. they dispense the medication to you. You're not in control of your medication because essentially they don't trust you. And then when I got right. there, they went through my entire luggage as well. They it's all, You don't have any door handles and you don't have any door locks, so it's just kind of when you got, when I got there and I was like, shit, this is where I am in my life. It just became really real. And, oh, and I kind of had to sort of accept all that. Um, yeah, of course. And then depending on your level of surveillance, they'll come and check on you. Like I think for the first 24 hours, like you get checked on every 15 minutes and that includes evenings as well. So even when you're asleep, they'll open the door. When you're asleep to sort of check on you and stuff like that so yeah so that was kind of I guess like how I got led to it and it was very much like survival Like guess is, is all I can really explain it is like something in my head was sort of telling me I need to you know to stop and I need professional help and this is sort of where i was at the time
0: how long were you there
2: so i was there for three weeks i think as an inpatient an outpatient gosh for like months but i remember clearly because (laughs) the main reason i was i became an outpatient is because because they monitor your medication like the medication i was on because i wasn't eating or sleeping they put me on an antidepressant that um, made me uh, increase my appetite and also made me a bit doozy, like sleepy. So because I was so sleepy, I'd want to go to bed at like eight o'clock at night. But the medication is only dispensed at like 10 p.m. So that was a big motivator for me to go home and be in Outpatient, which means that you basically commute every day into group therapy, um, because I'd find myself like going to sleep at eight pm and then having to get up and then t- getting putting medication on at 10, at ten pm. So I was only there for three weeks, but I had very little understanding of how long it could take to recover. So I thought I would only be there for a week, and then my psychiatrist came in and said, "No." you're not going to go back to work for at least another few weeks. And I cried that night as if someone had basically murdered my entire family. Like I was just in tears because it, like someone was basically telling me you had to stop. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't see that basically. Um, And I remember people telling me like, oh, but it's just a blip, you know, like it's, it's three weeks, it's a month out of your entire life. Just put that into perspective. And I was just kept thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe I've got to this point in my life where I have to actually stop. What are people going to think of me? And I can genuinely say in hindsight, it really wasn't that long. So I think that's the thing I'd say for people, if you're going through this and you do need to take time off work, take as long as you need, like, because genuinely it, it really your health is the most important thing and when you do get better you're going to look at that and be like that really wasn't that long and i i should have taken more time like looking back at it
1: so how long did you take patricia when you were an outpatient
2: So as an outpatient i was oh, maybe another three months so another three months but then i um got a i had a therapist as well Um, which wasn't part of the Priory. I saw her for every week for two and a half years. So she is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life. Like she's the weirdest thing. She's such a big part of my life, but she's never met anybody in my life. So, and this is what I tell people is that I pay for her privately, like with my own money. And what I say to people is, some people spend, what, £70? month 80 pounds a month on a gym membership like that yeah,
0: it's, no, it's no more
2: yeah, yeah or more like to me that's the equivalent of a mental gym or for your mind a gym membership for your mind yeah I think it's money is so well invested because everyone's got their shit
1: <laughs> how did you feel from um so the time when you that after that first week when you were told it'd be longer and then you were crying and it, and it felt like a really tough spot comparing that then to The point where you basically checked out from the primary, could you just describe some of the difference? And did you come to that conclusion, or did you and your therapist both come to that?
2: A bit of both. So I think, I actually think it was quite healthy for me to go back to work when I did. That's the other thing I'd say to people who are taking time out and going back is don't immediately go back. So I had a staggered approach to work. So I did two days a week for two weeks, then three days a week for. Two weeks and four days, etc., and that was that's something my um, psychiatrist recommended. And at first, I was like, "I know I'll be fine. I can just jump back into it." But it, it was actually really, really helpful. So I think because you sort of forget how, especially as will know, kind of in the industry that we work in, it's so fast-paced. So when I first got there, like, I just felt really useless and it was like baby steps. So I remember at lunchtime having to write down like all the things I did that morning. So I replied to one email, like one email, and that was that was a success for me in the morning. Um, but I think it's very much, you sort of need to, to take for recovery. It's very difficult to go from zero to 100 at the same time as you can't wait until you're completely better because a lot of the learning, like therapy, is a lot of theory, if that makes sense. And then you put into practice what you've learned in the real world. So I think there's a very interesting balance of you're not going to be 100% ready when you are released from a hospital, but you're not going to be released unless your doctors think that you are well enough. Um, but there's also a little bit of confidence and faith that you need to have right.
0: as well. It sounds like you live in the back streets of uh, Chicago, Patricia. There's a lot of police cars outside.
2: Can you hear that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Dostar for you.
0: That was the thing that when you first told me, you were like, obviously I knew you had time off. I obviously had no idea why, because well, we didn't work together. Then when you said the priory, I think I probably had the stereotypical response in the sense of, or oh, that's like that's like where the celebrities go. Like that's really serious. When it's just technically just it's like going to hospital for like a broken leg.
2: Yeah. So my um my dad, sorry dad, if you're you're probably going to listen to this, he um he used to say uh, it's a clinic, so it's not a hospital, it's a clinic, because you don't normally associate hospitals with like with mental health. I mean, I had my own room. It looked like I was in a hotel room. It was kind of a big a big house and they're like all sorts of people. And that's the thing that I think was amazing is everything that you do. There is group therapy, which I had never done before. And I think some people might think it's a bit scary, but it's amazing because you have so many people from completely different backgrounds and you're all there for the same, for the same reasons you kind of, you know, you, you can connect and you feel the same feelings and you learn from each other as well. So you know, it's not just the, the therapists that kind of guide you. I think there's, you end up sort of have, creating a support system amongst the people in 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 the hospital that are staying as well.
1: Have you uh, spoken about this much before, Patricia? Is this kind of the most you've gone into detail about your experience?
2: Um, I spoke about it a little bit at our work, but probably not in this much detail. It kind of, I mean, because it was, it was 2006, yeah 2017 so it feels kind of like a a lifetime ago and every year the day that I got checked into the hospital I always make sure that I mark it by doing something special so this year it luckily it sort of literally fell right before lockdown happened I spent it with my parents who live in Vienna and I think that's, again, sort of, you sort of start to get a sense of how big of a deal things are when you see other people's reactions. So when I checked into the hospital, my mom was here, and then um, then randomly my dad showed up because he was on business in Canada. I had no idea that he was coming. And you sort of go, shit, he literally flew halfway around the world to kind of come see me. And then you're just like, oh, god this is uh, this is actually pretty serious so it took a while for me to sort of understand how how serious it had the whole it had got
0: and I think people's reactions like especially your parents uh, like parents parents job sometimes to worry yeah and then obviously they might beat themselves up being like oh is it something we've done as parenting but it should be the opposite side in the sense of they should be proud that they've brought you up that you've actually done something about it yeah yeah that's so true yeah
2: it's it's funny because i always sort of say to people that like and this is something that to be to be fair in the priority they they do sort of say you know like parents are not to blame at all it's Mm -hmm. because they're doing their best and what i find that i tell people is because how you grow up influences you so much like especially your early years that you don't even know so when you sort of get to an adult you start to realize okay cool well these are the kind of these are the patterns that were created in my brain um how which of these actually help me and which of these fit with me and which of them don't and which what what do I need to change and I genuinely think that kind of that is just therapy it's like it's not changing who you are it's just understanding that the way that you think is a certain way because of your surroundings and your upbringings and how you were shaped and it's just taking a step back and just saying are those brain connections the best for me right now or is there something else that i can do to, to just make it easier on myself
1: so it's kind of just re just rewiring the way that you're thinking yeah. and like kind of cognitive approach to it just if something's gone something's gone a bit wrong in the past and now we're just addressing it and getting it right
2: yeah so I, I grew up in different countries, um, so a lot of kind of the way that I behave or I guess a lot of the way my, my mind is wired is coping mechanisms, because I sort of moved to different, to different countries. So actually, a lot of what your brain probably does is like coping mechanisms, and you sort of sort of say, and you take a look back and you go, okay, cool, Well, this is what my brain's telling me. Is this actually true? And that's a lot of what CBT is about is it true and then you start to challenge that and then that's when you kind of go actually what my brain says is complete rubbish it doesn't need to be like that
1: I think that's such a great just breakdown of what therapy basically is because I know like as Mesh was saying like the preconceptions of it and also like the priory itself and like you know the the name just brings like images of like you know the madhouse kind of uh, even for me even for me like and you know it's it's definitely, we've moved so far past that now, but just I, the more people like coming on and just talking about how it breaks down and just the practicalities of it and just the the process involved it's just so useful. Because as you've just said that now, like I'm thinking I definitely do that. Like people must be listening and thinking who doesn't do something like that, you know, at varying degrees, but there'll be something yeah. that anyone can address to improve either their quality of life or their work or, you know, relationships or whatever. So... It's a great way to get that conversation going.
2: You really don't realize the amount of energy you spend on unhealthy thought patterns. Like it can really drain your energy. So I remember thinking, like after I'd had months of therapy, it was just it was just like a light bulb went in my head. I was like, oh, that's so weird. I'm not really that tired after a day's work. Oh, because I haven't been worrying about stuff that you know that goes on in my brain. So I genuinely think. There's such a strong mind-body connection that people, I think people are starting to get now, right? Because they're starting to talk about mental health, that it's incredibly connected. You know, some people get physical um, ailments because of their anxiety. So some, some people, it kind of manifests itself in, in, in different ways. And I think, I, I genuinely think everybody should have therapy because everyone's got their package and 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 no one's perfect. Yeah. So
1: it's just
2: working through
1: it. Well, we've had, because um, we've talked a bit at the HAC, um, we've packaged it in like uh, in wellness and well-being and, and trying to kind of approach it from that angle and just saying that it's about, like you said, it's the mind-body combination and just yeah. how, how integral those two are. And just that's, that's how I kind of approach it. Like wellness is just... It's when the mind and body are working in tandem, well, and it's yeah. they can get out of tune so easily at different times in your life, and then just bring them back together. Um, yeah, just destigmatizing Definitely. that whole that whole area.
0: What were your first interactions with other patients? It feels if people are probably scared to go to group therapy because they're like, "Oh, I don't want to be in a room with other people." Maybe sat managing like that—that's a stereotypical yeah. thought that people have.
2: When I first checked in, I looked—I kind of—I was sort of swept away because. I went to see my doctor at 12 then he was like oh cool yeah well you can start there's a session at one but if you hurry to the canteen now you can get some lunch so I like had to process like okay this is actually happening I had I didn't have any stuff with me so my husband had to come back and bring a suitcase full of stuff so it's literally in the space of an hour I went from okay you need to take a break from life you need to check in but don't forget to have some lunch by the way here's your first group therapy session so I kind of went in and I think the thing that no one had warned me is you're going to have people that are different levels of their journey so there were some people there that were kind of coming to the end of their journey that were able to express themselves a lot better and then (laughs) people like me that I was I'd just been put on pretty kind of heavy medication Um, and I had been told that I sort of need to take time out. And by the way, here's a therapy group. And it was, I think that was something that I don't think I was prepared for, um, to understand that everyone is at different levels. But also, as you kind of go along, you just kind of start to realize that it doesn't matter who the person is, where they come from, if they're famous or not, everyone has the same emotions. Like, it's, you know, it's, people will kind of share their experiences and say, oh, I feel like a completely hum- useless human being. I feel worthless because of X, Y, Z. And you go, that's insane. I feel the exact same way, but I don't even know you. And you connect with those feelings so I have really enjoyed group therapy, but I don't know if there are people that I don't know if it is for everybody.
0: Yeah, I suppose you're not going to know until you do. Yeah.
2: But
1: yeah. yeah. So how are you now? Just now, looking back on it, that time, um, how do you reflect on it, and how 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 are you feeling at the moment with work and with just your general mindset?
2: So really, really good. I think what's been what's been great is I just feel as if I've a kind of Developed as a person, as a human, kind of through that experience. Um, yeah, it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me and the best thing that's ever happened to me, I think I always say. And I'm incredibly proud of that um, because I really put the time in to understand more about myself and how I think and what. <sighs> what is beneficial to me and what isn't beneficial to me and I just think like I have so much respect for people who kind of put their hands up and say I want to better myself you know or something isn't right I want to figure it out because it's it's tough it's really really tough and I think that's the thing that is quite difficult when people are struggling is that that first step is the hardest like that first step to yeah. sort of acknowledge and say, "I need help" is the hardest because it's 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 hard. But I can really, really tell you that the other side is so much better. Like it's just so much better. And that's not to say like I'm still learning constantly about myself. But from where I was before, it, it's just you also learn to connect with other people on a different level as well kind of when you when you've been through that experience so yeah I would just say if anyone's sort of going through that like just no matter how hard it may seem just stick with it because what's on the other side is just even better it's amazing
0: it is scary and daunting to know to like go back into your past I'm not gonna lie like even me and and you factor like doing this I found this so difficult at the beginning because you're just like digging into it and digging into the depths of your past you want to try and forget about but I feel as if, especially mental health, you've got to you've got to answer answer those questions from the past.
2: Yeah. So that, the the feeling I felt was after maybe about a week at the priory, I said, I feel like someone's reached into my head, removed all of my memories and things that I haven't thought about in years and years and years, and just just chuck them on the floor, and then left me to sort them through and figure out how I want to put them back together again. I remember listening to playlists from the 90s because it reminded me of my teenage years. And then all of these different memories came into my head. And then that's when you start to think about, okay, well, what was my childhood like? What was my upbringing like? And then you start to think about things you've never thought about before. And then you go, oh my God, okay, there's all this stuff that like I'm supposed to deal with. And then And gradually, what then my state, the Priory, taught me is how do you take what you need from that and then discard the rest to kind of make you a, a, a better person. And I think that's what therapy is.
1: It sounds like um, it was a crucial process for you yeah. to go through. And there would be definitely other people who will either be thinking that they're in a similar position to you or even, you know, maybe a couple of steps back, but who would like to go through something like that. Um, and it obviously it just sounds like that with your work we're incredibly supportive and you've made connections now through work as well which is great but then how do you feel I mean if, if you've spoken to other people in different lines of work about this how do you think that that would go down if for example someone came to their boss and said you know I, I can do this job fine but I'm not in a good I'm not in a great spot I feel I could be better I'd like to take this time away and improve myself because I feel we should be getting there in work. Yeah. You know, and we have such a long way, I think, to come with how work views this and the responsibility that employers yeah. and employees take, the two combined. Yeah. So I don't know how if you've had other conversations about it and whether it's less favourable in, in other scenarios that you've you've come across or not.
2: That's a really interesting point. And I think you almost need to have those conversations before it's before it gets to breaking point. I think mine is very much yeah, exactly. breaking point. And it's creating an environment where people feel confident and comfortable that they can kind of go to their managers or not their managers, like go to somebody and just say, I'm struggling. because, and, and I think a big part of that is showing vulnerability. I think in our society, being vulnerable, it's getting there. But if being vulnerable is like, still seen as being weak but actually it's the complete opposite it's having the strength to say having the strength to say no like I can't do this anymore and putting like creating your own barrier um and that took me a long time to learn um uh, I'm still learning (laughs) to be honest Um, but I think it's it's creating an environment where people feel confident and comfortable to say to, to open up and say that um is the key to not let it get too late too late if that makes sense the other thing that really helped me which i'm kind of like the master of notebooks so i'll do this thing where i buy loads of notebooks and start writing in it but then forget have a notebook and then buy another notebook so like All my notebooks have like 10 pages (laughs) written in it. But I carried with me (laughs) like a mini, a tiny pad, a mini pad notebook. And just like, like at lunchtime or if I went for a walk, I just write my thoughts in it. And so I think that's the other thing I'd say to people, getting it out in however way you are comfortable and having kind of an outlet for it. And that could be writing or that could be, singing or exercise, or or even just like, you know, if work gets too much, just like going to a friend and be like, look, I just need you to sit there for five minutes while I have a massive rant about everything that's happening. Like, you don't need to say anything, <laughs> just sit there and listen, and I would really, really appreciate it. I think sometimes people just need that. Like, so that you're not talking to yeah. yourself, or you're not yeah. talking to a wall, you're like talking to somebody else, and even though you don't need that person to say anything back to you, it's just so you can get a release and get it out.
0: Similar to your note, Trish, I've, um, I have an app called mood kit. It's the same thing. If you have a certain mood, say so you're angry, it's just like, you can just fill it in as and when it just, like you're just, you're just making a note of those thoughts and feelings at the time.
2: Yeah. And acknowledging, I think acknowledging that you have those thoughts as well is, is, is huge and acknowledging like that you're feeling the way you're feeling. So it's, you know, if someone's sort of coming up to you and saying, you know, I feel so if someone came up to you and said, I feel so exhausted, you're not going to say to them, oh, you're not tired. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Kind of thing. Like, it's the same thing as sort of saying, I have I have a lot of anxiety today. It's like validating their feelings. Sorry, you have that. Like it's it's I think validating people's feelings sort of goes goes a long way. And kind of even acknowledging that you respect the way that they're feeling, rather than just not talking about it. Just brushing it off,
1: yeah. Well, so you, you said that as well, didn't you? It's just also self-validation as well. Yeah. When it comes up, meant if you get either bad news or or something comes up, and just registering that you're going through an emotional response first, and then the rationalising of that should come after or whatever. But we tend to do go straight yeah. to that first and just ignore. The emotional side, which I thought yeah. was such a great like distinction to think of.
0: We can kind of see a little bump on screen, but how many weeks down line are you, Trish? In terms of pregnancy, not
2: thirty-six next week, which is insane. So the due date falls on the week forty. So yeah, that's, that's the next stage in my mental health journey, I think.
1: <laughs> How's that been so far? When, can get oh
2: God, a mind fuck. <laughs> can I swear on the show? Fuck it's yeah. <laughs> been um, insane. What is incredible and what I found throughout the whole journey of being pregnant is how little people talk about certain things. So when last year, that November time I had a miscarriage really early on. So I found out I was pregnant and we found out we miscarried at six weeks, Um, which is, which is, which is crazy, right? Because I'd only known for like two weeks and people were kind of like, Oh, but you know, you can kind of try again, etc." But it's just amazing how much it can affect you and just the whole process of it. And when that happened, I had no idea how common it was. And the more you, talk about it it's like depression right the more you talk about it the more people are like oh so and so has that or I know so and so that went through the same thing and you start to see that it's extremely common but it's not talked about at all I don't know if you guys saw Chrissy Teigen John, John Legend's married to so she like they just lost their baby I think I think she was maybe about halfway through But I saw that this morning and I was like, that's obviously, it's really, really, really sad. But at the same time, I think it's just so strong and vulnerable to sort of share that raw moment with everybody. Because just reading through Twitter comments, it almost started conversations of like, oh, I've kind of had one and, you know, I think miscarriages are... One in four women have miscarriages.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly the same rate as mental health in the UK. Yeah, one in four.
2: that's really that's yeah actually I never thought of that. So yeah, it was um it was tough, and I think again I don't think I gave myself enough time to mentally recover from that because I <laughs> basically found out I had miscarried, and then the next day I went into work. Wow. and I was like it's fine you know I was only six weeks along it's fine but then as the day went by I was like I can't do this so and then I just kind of went home and took some took some time and so then when I found out I was pregnant again in February I think we weren't expecting it to happen that quickly and all I kept thinking about was it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. So you sort of have again that anxiety and then you sort of have all the doctor's appointments and every scan you go, oh my God, is there going to be a heartbeat? Is it going to happen again? And I was, I was convinced. I was convinced. I was like, it, it, it's not going to happen this time. And my husband was like, I have a good feeling about this one. I think, he, I think, I think he's a fighter. So see so he was kind of kind of really really positive about it. Then yeah, and then it, you know, I guess he's almost here, so we're having a boy. Congratulations. And yeah, congratulations. <laughs> having a. he's gonna his due date's the fourth of November, so it's supposed to be Scorpio. And everybody don't know if either of you guys are Scorpios. No. Everyone says that they're very strong minded. And it's just been Again, kind of I think I think once you sort of once you're in pregnancy, women do talk about it more. I think it's more kind of the miscarriage element that that needs to be talked about more. People have said that right after pregnancy your hormone levels fall and you kind of can get really depressed. And I have a huge fear of, okay, well, am I gonna have to go back into hospital? Is it something that I is is gonna happen to me again. So I'm still on antidepressants. I actually haven't been off medication in like three years, still on it. And with kind of, I talked to my psychiatrist about it and he's very much like, the benefits outweigh the risk of the medication. In my file, it says that I have a history of anxiety and depression. So I'll get kind of additional monitoring from the NHS afterwards to kind of monitor my mental health um, from a postnatal depression point of view. But, yeah, it's like, again, it's a uh, it, it's terrifying and exciting at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy because um, actually my sister, she's, she's had a boy uh, about six weeks ago, but she had a miscarriage. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thanks, yeah, but she had a miscarriage as well. And um, when it first sort of came out, I think we all had kind of a similar like, this is. I mean, it's obviously you know t- tragic for her to go through it, but that was kind of the point I was thinking about was that. Me, mentioned the one in four with sort of mental health. Yeah. Okay, but then the I think the initial response could be to the miscarriage is that oh, it's you know it's devastating one in four go through it and then think oh, okay so you know you'll have another chance or whatever or you know I'm sure it'll be fine next time but then not thinking about the mental health aspects of that first one as you as you were just talking about there I think that's really important to highlight that that's because that's that can trigger you know a downward a downward um, slope into something more anxiety if you are anxious anyway just more anxieties and compounding it for the next time
2: yeah and that's a really good point because you sort of think because no one really talks about it you sort of go oh god what's wrong with me and then you know you can't obviously it's not your fault but you do go down that route of is it something i did is it something that kind of um you know my body my body did or didn't do and i i was really really in it it catches you completely off guard i think when it happens obviously because you're so happy and you know, hopefully you're happy if, if you kind of, if it's what you wanted, like you're, you're so happy and you're kind of in that, that, that bubble. And then all of a sudden it just goes, no. And again, it's difficult at work. I told, actually, I think I told pretty much my whole team about it um, because I had been so open about kind of my mental health. Like I sort of, again, took the decision to sort of say, I want people to, know about this because not many people know about it so this is kind of what what I'm going through and yeah I think again like work was really really supportive and really really helpful but then you have some people that kind of they use work as a distraction I guess so they're like oh I'm just gonna forget about it but I'm definitely not that kind of person so I think I I did take a few a few days off uh but again you should I mean why don't we have you know a law that says if you have a miscarriage you're entitled to two weeks off because it's technically it's a bereavement yeah Yeah, that's true so why not
1: yeah i mean i i felt that when i found out this of the dialogue around it i thought i was just being like you know like a typical man didn't appreciate you know uh things that women go through but then i was surprised to hear that also yeah other women didn't know about it either so when i i spoke about it that's kind of um I guess, I don't know what you think about why that kind of... We ha- is it similar to mental health and that it's just been a bit taboo in the past? Or, that what, or do, do women just feel uncomfortable about speaking about it to, to men and women, it sounds like?
2: I don't know if it's like a mixture of both. And sometimes people don't know what to say, right? Like same with depression, I guess, don't really know what to say or you don't want to be that person that makes people sad I, I had like really naively, I had two friends that had been through something similar, and I was like, okay, cool, because I know two people, it's not going to be me, right? Just, just a ridiculous way of thinking. Um, but I do actually, I do, did, I don't know why. I wonder if there's an element of shame as well, that you know, you're kind of it happened to you. But no, that's a I. I don't know the answer to that. It's a good question. And I guess like I would probably feel more comfortable telling women than men as well, because it's very much a related to the female body kind of thing. Um, and you kind of think like, Oh, with, with men or even with women, you kind of think, Oh, they don't want to hear about that. Like that's really sad. You know, no one really wants to hear about all that stuff. Um, so I think all those things combined it kind of not that I felt lonely but it was very it was very it reminded me a lot of talking about depression because when you open up to people they go oh my god I've been through that or I know someone else has been through that and I literally went well why does nobody talk about it
0: that's it it's the, the, the opportunity to speak like it's exactly the same with mental health like if you don't have the opportunity to speak about how you're feeling then it's just going to yeah process obviously me and James are never going to get pregnant but the process from the outside looking in is it's quite an anxious process for anyone no matter if you don't have any pre-existing mental health conditions there's going to be moments of anxiety throughout the whole
2: yeah I think the thing that I'm probably most scared of is um because I went through kind of the experience of the priory and therapy I became quite comfortable in my own skin after, like maybe about two years ago so I generally for the first time in my entire life I felt like I was sort of me and comfortable in my own skin and I kind of just have this fear of oh god that's just all going to go away because I have to like give myself to another person and, and I think that's the, that's the thing that I'm trying to balance in my head that it's all about a little tiny human being but you also need to look after yourself and how do you how do you do that and i think because no one really has that unless you know and kind of the moment you become a parent it's like how do you still become yourself without losing yourself by giving as much as you can to somebody else yes. so i think that's the thing that i'm kind of like struggling with james how's you how's your sister doing then
1: she she's great now yeah, yeah. Uh, enjoying maternity leave at the moment and uh, I get to see him a lot because they're they're not too far. So she's around. Oh, good. I'm working at home, so they're they're around a lot of the time. So yeah, uh, yeah. are
2: you are you enjoying being an uncle?
1: Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I feel yeah. I feel close to him. That's good. It's good good times. Whenever she, I'm always happy whenever she comes around. I get to see him again, so it's nice. Have you um, been reading any any baby books or following stuff, or are you just gonna follow yeah. intuition? Yeah.
2: So I interestingly i think you go to two different ways when you're pregnant i think you either don't want to know anything about what's about to happen or you want to know everything about what's about to happen and i've kind of gone down the route of i want to know everything that's about to happen and um i've started reading this really good book called give birth like a feminist by this lady called millie millie hill and it kind of it just sort of like empowers women to do what they're supposed to do while giving birth um and it kind of talks about how like the system can sometimes kind of push you one way in terms of having medical decisions and it's all about being in tune with yourself your your body because sort of you, you know best and um yeah kind of really enjoying that I've done a lot of hypnobirthing, which is cool. So it's not as hippy as it sounds everyone thinks, just like <laughs> like incense everywhere. But it kind of teaches you the physiology of childbirth, and I found that really comforting to know that what happens during your body when you you know when you go through labor. That's about it. I haven't really read anything about what happens when the baby gets here. <laughs> So it's like I will deal with that when that when yeah. when, when that gets there. I'll see you <laughs> for later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's probably the big the big deal, but yeah. I feel as if our
0: <laughs> listeners will agree with James and I when we say, even from this conversation, Trish, it sounds like you're going to be a great mum. So,
2: no, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs>
1: Well you mentioned uh, I think in that chat at some point that um singing can be quite a nice therapeutic
0: way of uh, relieving stress. So we'll see a- and are you you're a you're a big Taylor Swift fan, don't you, Patricia? Yeah,
2: there's no no that's not gonna happen. Fifty oh, yeah. well, <laughs> fifty
0: chance, it might do. So end of the show, triple threat round, we'll flip a coin, loser's got to do a song, a story, or a joke. And seeing as what I lost last week, it's between you two beautiful selves. So, Patricia, obviously, as you're the guest, you can call it in the air. Heads. It is. Heads. Oh, James has to go. I literally, <laughs> the guests won it every time. This is actually yeah, show us that
2: coin again. <laughs> so people,
0: people, people are getting bored of me and James now. I, mean, I just have to rig it.
2: What have you got, James?
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing. I'm going to sing. Hopefully, you'll know what it is as a start.
1: You packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. On such a timeless flight. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time Till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home Oh no, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning out his fuse out here alone
0: And I think it's gonna be a long, long time
2: that was awesome
0: fantastic i had to mute myself because i knew i'd start laughing i saw you cracking straight away thank you thank you trish for keeping a straight face through all of that and meshy just collapsing i liked how you closed your eyes as well really felt the moment i had to get yeah get in the moment
2: oh that was great fantastic
0: but yeah thanks again patricia for coming on
2: thank you guys and um yeah keep up the good work i really love listening to you guys